If the message turns out good tonight, you can thank the Holy Spirit because <clears throat> I was able to put a message together and not a lot of time to, to study it, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for Your Spirit to come upon Your house, Lord. Pray that, Lord, each word would go out and accomplish Your purpose, Lord. And, Lord, we look forward to Your will and Your purpose, Lord. Not only in all of our lives, but for Your church. And Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we can study it, that we can meditate on it, and that, Lord, You can use it to speak to us in the very way that we need to be spoken to. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We praise You, Jesus, and we lift You on high. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. Tonight we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 5. And we are going to go through um, Romans chapter or Romans chapter five verse one through verse eleven. Now, don't get confused because I do kind of uh, jump from verse uh, four to verse ten and eleven, and then back to three and four. But that's just the way to fit together, you know. Anyways, the title of tonight's message is Faith and Peace and the Ministry of Reconciliation. You know, it's funny that um, we had that worship song tonight about reconciliation. And this gave me some more confidence tonight when Brandon was praying and said that perseverance leads to character, and that is part of our study tonight. So that was a confirmation for me that God spoke and spoke quickly in the midst of me saying, sure, I can speak tonight. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, we're going to look at first. Therefore, and therefore, means we need to look backwards. And so as we look backwards at the end of chapter 4, Paul is recounting the sufferings of Christ and how Christ justified us if we place our faith in Him. And so this verse begins with, therefore, and that's what Paul is talking about, the sufferings of Christ. And he says, having been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, I know that, that, that that's been true for me in my walk with Jesus. I've got a long way to go. But God is teaching me to persevere through the things that, that sometimes I look at, I, I ask God and say, why, God, 
<laughs> am I being plagued? When is the end going to come? But slowly and slowly and slowly, I'm learning perseverance. And you know, slowly, God is producing a better character in me. And it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with Jesus Christ. I, I, I know that, that God is working in my life and producing more character. And He's also producing more hope through that perseverance and character. And I find myself hoping and hoping for the Lord to return. I find myself hoping for things I never thought I would hope for. As we get into the end times, I I don't know if you'll understand this or not, but I'm hoping for persecution to come in this nation. I believe we need it. And we'll talk more about that on Sunday in Philippians. But this is so true for me, and I pray that that it's true for you as the Lord works in your life. And Paul says here that um, in, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, he says that it is through our faith that we have been justified. And that word justified means to render righteous or to be recommended as righteous. Is that not what Jesus does to, with us, to the Father? He recommends us as righteous. And that's what it means to be justified. And Paul goes on and says, And now we have peace with God through Christ, and we have been the recipient of God's grace. So peace with God, as well in our lives, begins with our faith in Christ. I found that without Christ, I I can't have any peace. And... You know, the the bumper stickers, and we've heard it a lot here lately, no justice, no peace. I I think it should read no peace without justification. And that's the message that we need in the world today. That without Christ, there is no peace in the world. There's no peace in our lives And Paul also says that through faith and peace and grace, we now look forward to the glory of God. So brothers and sisters, it is only those of us who have placed our faith and hope in Jesus Christ, we are the ones that are going to experience those untold and incomprehensible glories of God. We don't even know what that means, the glories of God. We know we can imagine in our minds glory. We can imagine in our minds glories and, and all of that. And, and the world today glorifies so much that God is no longer glorified in our nation. I don't know if anybody saw that video today. I was talking to some of the guys before service. Um, it was a Jewish rabbi speaking to Congress. Anybody, anybody see that? I'm voting for him for president. In about 12 minutes, he laid out American history and how we have turned our back on God and the judgment that's coming. And he laid out Jewish history 
and how they turned their back on God and the judgment is coming. And he, he just smashed Congress with judgment and the immorality that we've been accepting and how God is going to turn his back on this nation. And I got goosebumps. I have goosebumps right now. And at the very end, and I noticed throughout, because he was quoting mostly Old Testament Scripture about judgment for turning your back on God as a nation, but he threw in a few words of Jesus in there. And I thought, well, that's interesting. But then at the end, he made it very clear that he was a Messianic Jew, a Messianic rabbi. And at the end of his uh, fully automatic machine gun speech, and he was talking fast, but it was powerful. Um, he got, it was, it was kind of sad. He got a little bit of a standing ovation. And after he was done speaking, he immediately left the podium. And as he left, there were numerous people in Congress that stood up and exited quickly. <clears throat> and it's sad. It just solidifies what we already know. We are a nation that's, that's turned our back on God, except for those of us Guys who are willing to stand for God's Word, no matter what. And so, having placed our faith and hope in Jesus Christ, we will experience those uh, glories of God. And as we see more and more people in this world that are perishing without Christ, the only thing that they will know is that they will never see what what we're going to see. They're never going to stand in the light of God's glory. They will only know and see and stand in God's all-consuming fire. And that is one of His names. For I am an all-consuming fire. And that is the future for those that are perishing and in these last days, we need to be snatching them out of the fire and bringing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And in my words right here, to go along with the message of uh, the title of the message tonight, Faith and Peace and Reconciliation, without faith, we cannot have peace with God. We cannot have peace with, with, with God without faith in Jesus Christ. And having peace with God... You know, I, I really believe that Paul, I was in the military for 20 years and I've, I've known a lot of wannabes. <laughs> I believe Paul was a wannabe because he was always using military terms. He described Roman, Roman um, armor and he described military tactics. And so I think somewhere in Paul's rabbi mind, he was kind of like, ah, I should have enlisted. But Paul uses this, these terms, peace. 
and reconciliation. And, 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 and in the ways that he uses them, they have a military tone to them. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 10 through 11, he says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You know, before Christ came and died, all of humanity was at war with God. We were in rebellion. We were in direct conflict with God, much as our nation is today. And it always, Brandon and I were talking um, earlier, it, it's, it's amazing that atheists, you know, there's, there's people that are atheists and stuff like that, and they're like, oh, you know, you got Jesus, that's cool, you know, whatever works. But there's that radical atheism that, that they hate Christianity. And they hate anything to do with Jesus. They hate anything to do with the Creator. And, it, you know, guys, it seems like they hate us, but they don't. They hate God. But how can you hate God if you don't believe in Him? Huh? It, do, it just doesn't work. I mean, there's certain foods that I don't that, that I hate. I can't think of one right off the top of my head. But if I hated it, it's like you want to eat it. <laughs> More power to you. You know, go for it. It's like I'm not going to hate you because you eat that food that I don't like. And that's kind of what it's like. How can you hate so vehemently something that you don't believe in? And so they know. Paul says they know. They have the truth within them, but they are denying that truth because they want to live in darkness. They want to stay in that darkness and not come into the light. And so be encouraged when you see atheists spewing vile, hate, words towards Christians because they are spewing those vile, hateful words at God, not us. And so all of humanity was at war with God and much of humanity still is. And we were enemies with God. And again, Paul's using military terms here to make his point. The word reconciled and reconciliation means to return to favor with and to Receive one back into your favor. And I'll make the connection with the military uh, thing here in a minute. But you notice that this is a, this is a two-party action. You have the, I want to be reconciled, and you have the, I want you to be reconciled to me. And so it's a two-party action. There's action by two parties here. Party one, and this is us, has to humble themselves and repent of all wrongs, have faith that they will be accepted back in favor 
with the one who was wronged. That's us. We need that love and that forgiveness and that acceptance to be received back into God's favor. And party two forgives the wrongs and receives their enemy as if the wrong never existed. And so to simplify, party one, which is us, we surrender to our enemy, which is God. At one time, we were all looking at God as our enemy. We were all looking at God as, nah, don't want nothing to do with you. And party one's enemy, God, you know, God accepts the surrender of His enemy, which is us, and He makes peace. That's what happens when you surrender. You make peace. I was watching the awesome, you know, I'm a military guy, and I'll never, I'll never live that, or outlive that, but um, I was watching an awesome show last night. It was called Our War, and it, and it was the history of uh, Britain in World War One. And it literally, if you've seen Band of Brothers, this was the British version of Band of Brothers. And it was just totally outstanding. But at the end, and they were detailing all these battles, and, and when, the, when the first tanks came on the scene and how the British tanks really actually was, was what won um, a lot of the war, and they got to the part about surrender and making peace with their enemy and being reconciled is what it means. At the end of World War II, we reconciled with Japan. We reconciled with Germany. We rebuilt their nations as part of that reconciliation. We became friends and we remain friends to this day. That's reconciliation. And, and, and that is what surrender and being joined together is all about. So we've been reconciled to God with His favor bestowed upon us. And now this is a little bit of the hard part. We're going to go back to Romans 5. We're still in Romans 5, but this is verse 3 and 4. Paul tells us to glory in our tribulations. That's a hard thing. How do we glory in our tribulations? You know, tribulations are different for all of us. I have tribulations in my life. All of us do. Some have tribulations that are worse than others that God has allowed. But how do we glory in those tribulations? And so what does it mean? Are we to be happy that our world's crumbling around us? Should we be joyful that we're suffering? Should we walk down the street and stop everyone we meet and say, I'm so happy and joyful that my chronic pain is really chronic today. Praise the Lord. Or should we say, 
I'm feeling glorious because our world is so violent. I don't believe that's what God means, brothers and sisters. We should rejoice and glory in three things when it comes to trials and tribulations. Number one, rejoice that your sufferings cannot compare to God's glory. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Very key there. The glory that shall be revealed in us. Not the glory that shall be revealed in God. What Paul is saying here is that the sufferings that we go through, that because of those sufferings, on that day, the glory that we have received from our sufferings is going to be revealed to us. I don't know what that means, so don't ask me. But I do know that it's amazing and it's, we can't comprehend it. That, that God is going to give some of His glory, maybe all of it, I don't know. But through suffering... God's glory is going to be revealed in us. It's going to be revealed to us. Number two, we rejoice that we are sharing in Christ's sufferings. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through, 14, 12 through 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Peter says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. This means that, like I said, we have sufferings to different extents. God has preordained, <laughs> if you want to use that word, the sufferings that we're going to go through. And it's through those sufferings that we have in our lives that God conforms us into the image of His Son. That is part of being a Christian. You, you, you cannot, I believe, you cannot be a Christian without suffering. You, you will not partake in Christ's sufferings. And so God uses our sufferings to different extents. Some may have a few sufferings. Some may have many. We in our nation, we have few. We look at trials in our lives and and I'm not saying we don't have serious trials because I can look at my trials and say, man, I'm tired of that. When's it going to end, God? But you know, when we really look at true sufferings, we need to look to the Christians in Iraq that are being slaughtered every day. Those are sufferings. Those people know and share in the sufferings of Christ. That is the extent 
that God is allowing them to suffer. And again, I believe that, and I don't want to get too much into the message in Philippians, but I believe we are heading for um, Christianity to be outlawed in this country if God doesn't take us home first. Amen? Rapture me, baby. But if the Lord tarries, I believe eventually we're going to reach that point. And the persecutions are becoming stronger and and stronger in our country every day. But this is part of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. I don't know anybody that was persecuted more than Jesus for our sake. And so we should count it joy to share in His sufferings. Count it joy to be persecuted for His name's sake. And Paul says that exact same thing here. That when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So, you know, brothers and sisters, we're not rejoicing that, that, that we are suffering, but we are rejoicing that those sufferings are bringing us closer to being in the, into the image of Jesus Christ, which is what the Father's plan, ultimate plan is for us to conform us into the image of His Son. Number three, we glory that we have Jesus in heaven interceding for us and listening to our prayers. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14-16 through 16 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. What is that confession? Our confession of faith in Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. You know what that means to me? That means when somebody's standing before God at the the great white throne judgment where the unbelievers are going to be judged... Nobody's going to be able to stand there and look at Jesus and say, but Jesus, you just don't know how it feels. You don't know what I've been through. This tells us right here that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? He was tempted in all points as we are, and yet he was without sin. He was the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of all of the millions of sacrifices of lambs and goats and, and, and all of the blood that was shed under the law, he was the final lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice. And he was without sin. That is why those animals had to be inspected by the high priests in the tent of tabernacle, the high priests in the temple. They had to be inspected. Why? To make sure they were without blemish. Jesus was without blemish. He was without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to 
to help in time of need. Brothers and sisters, we have Jesus in heaven interceding for us. He's our scribe, our attorney, our lawyer, and He's interceding for us. And Jesus, who is also still a man in heaven and still God, He knows what it's like to walk in our shoes. He knows what it's like to be a man. And I'm not saying, you know, I want to be gender correct here. He knows what it's like to walk in a man and a woman's shoes. How's that? No, I won't say that. You know, Jesus knows our hurts. He knows our pains. He knows that we are weak. He knows that we are sinners. He knows our temptations. He knows our failings. He knows our sorrows. He shares in our tears. He shares in our fears. He knows our cares. He knows our concerns. And He hears our desires. We have a high priest, Jesus in heaven, who loves us beyond what we can possibly know or feel or comprehend. You know, as a grandfather and now a great-grandfather, it's, you know, you have your kids and you love them. Sometimes. But you love them. And then you have your grandkids, and it's a different kind of love. It's, it, in some ways, it's deeper. And then we just had a great grandbaby about three months ago, and it's an even different kind of deeper love. And it's just wonderful to feel that deeper, deeper, deeper love. But it doesn't come close or nor can we comprehend that everlasting, deep, bottomless, endless love that Jesus has for us. And the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. And I believe Jesus weeps today in heaven. How, how can He not weep over the world But even weeping over the world, Jesus weeps for us. He weeps for our trials. He weeps for our tribulations. And He knows our sufferings. But the best thing about this is is that we can come boldly before His throne of grace and obtain mercy in a time of need. You know, brothers and sisters, this simply means that we can enter into the Holy of Holies. That's what this is talking about. We can enter into the Holy of Holies. Jesus died. The veil was torn. Prior to that, only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. And if he was judged by God to be unrighteous to be there, dead. God killed him. That's why they had a rope tied around his ankle. So, uh-oh, he's dead. Pull him back out. Send in the next man. I don't know how they did that, but 
That was the Holy of Holies. That was the mercy seat of God. And now we can come boldly before the throne of grace and mercy. We can come into the Holy of Holies. And that's what it's talking about here. That we can boldly come into the Holy of Holies without fear of judgment, without fear of death. And we can plead. And and Jesus knows our desires and we can pray to Him inside the Holy of Holies. He's personally invited us to come in. When that veil was torn, that was the invitation that was sent out. Come into the Holy of Holies. Come into the mercy seat. I'm here to hear your prayers, weep with you, cry with you, rejoice with you. And we can come into the Holy of Holies and be received most of all, into His presence as His friend. He is our friend. And it's because we are at peace with God, because we've been reconciled to Him. So I just want to talk a little bit about the ministry of reconciliation. The Bible says that we, you know, God reconciled us to Him. And in that, God has imparted that ministry of reconciliation to us. It has become our ministry also. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16-18 through 18 says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know Him thus no longer. You know, Paul's telling us, and this is hard, because as a pastor, many people come and say, I have a problem with forgiveness. And this is what reconciliation and Paul here is talking about. Paul is telling us also that not to regard any brother or sister according to the flesh. We've known Christ according to the flesh, and, and we know Him according to the flesh no longer. But he also says we are to regard no one according to the flesh. We're children of the Most High God. And Paul says that once we regarded Jesus according to the flesh, and now that we know Him, it's according to the Spirit. And that's how we are to esteem others is not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's how we look at others, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. We know a lot about each other. I know a lot about people in this church. And you know, I could sit and judge people according to the flesh, And a lot of people in this church know a lot about me. And they could judge me according to my flesh. According to the flesh. But we don't do that. We are new. We judge each other. Or not judge, but we esteem each other according to the Spirit of God. And not the flesh. Does anybody in here recall how you regarded Jesus according to your flesh before you knew Him? I do. (laughs) I'll share that with you real quick. 
Or if you knew him and then you had a period of backsliding, during that backslidden period, how did you regard Jesus? If you can recall those things, I can recall exactly how I regarded Jesus according to the flesh. Three months before I came to Christ, my adopted daughter from the Philippines, we were having a lot of problems with her, and we found out she was planning on joining an Asian gang. And so independently of, of, of uh, each other, two people recommended this Southern Baptist Christian school to us. And we didn't, we weren't believers at the time, but I thought, hmm, these guys don't know each other and they recommended the same school. Must be karma or something like that. And so she went, we, we sent her to this school and it was in Florida. We get a letter, that was December, we get a letter from her in January. She says, Mom, Dad, I got great news. I've been born again. I'm saved. And you can ask my wife about this. And this is how I regarded Jesus in the flesh. I told my wife, I said, oh, I don't know what's worse, Asian gangs or wacko Christians. That was my flesh, my fleshly view of Jesus. Two and a half months later, I came to Christ. It was a rapid turnaround. Paul tells us in the next verse how we can regard each other according to the Spirit and not the flesh. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so we are a new creation. And we walk in the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And God desires as we continue to be conformed into the image of Christ that we consider our brothers and sisters to be new creations also. I think that sometimes, and I know it can be true for me, I can look at a brother and sister and, and forget that. That I, I always remember I'm a new creation, but you know, you see your brother or sister stumbling in some way, which we probably all have. And instead of esteeming them according to the Spirit, we can esteem them according to the flesh and forget that they are also a new creation and in need of our prayers, in need of bearing their burden with them, which is what we are supposed to do. We should not look at them... as if they have become their old self that was crucified on the cross with Christ. Jesus says that before we point out the splinter in someone else's eyes, we need to remove the log in our own eye first. That's a hard one. But... I can see those things quite often, especially as a pastor, um, because people come to you with some crazy things. And 
You know, so the, this ministry of reconciliation is about forgiveness. It's about forgiving those who have transgressed against us. It's about unconditional love and forgiveness, even when it's hard. We weren't looking for God when Jesus came and died for our sins. Nobody was looking for God. The Jews were looking for their Messiah, but they rejected Him. They were looking for a warrior to defeat Rome. They forgot what their Bible said, that He would come and suffer and take take our punishment for our sins. That by His stripes, we would be healed. Verse 18 says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What a gift. God has given us a ministry straight from His hand. The same ministry that He had. He's given to us. And that's that ministry of reconciliation. Making peace with our enemies. Receiving them back into our favor. That's what reconciliation is. And so just as God has forgiven us unconditionally and accepted us back into His favor, we, in our ministry of reconciliation, are to be like Jesus and do the same. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Lord. What a privilege it is to have Your love letter sent to us, Lord. A precious book that points out all of our failings, all of our weaknesses, and all of our failures, Lord. From Genesis to Revelation, it is all about our weaknesses and all about Your love and forgiveness. And so, Lord, we thank You that You uh, deemed us worthy to receive this love letter. Lord, we thank You that, it, that You deemed us worthy to be known by You, by our names. What a pleasure, Lord. What a privilege. And Lord, as we worship You now, we thank You, Jesus. We pray that this worship would rise up to You as a sweet-smelling aroma. And it's in your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.